Every part of your vehicle serves a purpose, especially your tires. When they aren't right, it makes a big difference in safety. So, find great deals on trusted brands of automotive and specialty tires for farm machinery, utility vehicles, and more at Blaine's Farm and Fleet. We're continuing to share the stories of people around Wisconsin that have been able to hang on to their farm and homestead for more than 100, even more than 150 years. And the stories continue. Today we're talking with Daryl Schoenberg. He is in Poinette. He is one of the farm families that's uh, celebrating. It's uh, over 100 years with you guys, isn't it, Daryl? It is. It is. It's 150 years. Um, basically, the land was purchased from my uh, second great-grandfather, William Peeper, on October 12th of 1871. Wow. Amazing. And Yeah, yeah. That is a long, long time ago. And about uh, 20 years after that, he arrived in Wisconsin from Germany. And then from there, it went to uh, Fred and Emma Schoenenberg, and then it went to George Sr. and uh, Maybell Schoenenberg, mm-hmm. and then from there it went to my parents, uh, George and Britta Schoenenberg, and then uh, my wife, uh, Julie, and I have got it now. Excellent. So tell me, you, you mentioned that, so am I correct, they, they bought some of the land before they actually arrived in the country? Um, yeah, that's, you know, when you go back in these records that far, um, it, it seems to the best of our knowledge, um, that it was purchased. Yeah. Prior. And I'm not for sure exactly how that worked. Well, um, uh, God bless them for doing it sight unseen. That's, uh, that's putting your trust with somebody else for sure. How did it, how did it start, Daryl? Was it, uh, was it uh, bare land? Uh, did they start Darien? Tell me a little bit about the beginnings of the farm. Um, the, the best I can tell you the very beginning is, you know, they bought their plot of land and I know some of it, um, just like a lot of land in Wisconsin had to be, um, cleared. I'm sure there was woods on some of it, depending upon, um, you know, like I say, going back in the plat books and trying to look at the actual, uh, parcel. Um, and, you know, basically they started out like everybody else with absolutely nothing. And, uh, you know, they had, um, you know, a few pigs, um, a few chickens, um, a couple cows. Yeah, and uh, part of it was actually a rock quarry that much later down the road um, was turned into, like I say, a gravel pit where they were able to sell some gravel out of it, I guess. Sure. Um, but uh, yeah, um, other than that, I guess I don't know a lot of specific details Rich. about yeah, that's fine. That's yeah. that's why we tell these stories because if we don't, uh, if somebody doesn't start sharing and keeping this knowledge, we'll lose it. So then, kind of move me forward. Then, as that's how it kind of got started. Then tell me about the evolution of the farm. Were there buildings added, equipment? Uh, was it uh, diversified? Just give me a little sense of how it's been progressing. Yeah. So you know how the farm changed over time. Um, we wrote down a few different things that we did. Um, come up with here just lately, um, talking with the older generation that is still alive, but um, they said, uh, you know, they farmed with horses up until 1941. Mm -hmm. And then my grandpa, so George Sr., would have bought actually a John Deere B, and uh, my uh, grandpa always preferred the horses, actually. And he had a funny story to tell that he said uh, when they went out in the wintertime, like the hall manure, pitch manure, of course, or those old spreaders, 
Um, he said that bee was absolutely worthless. You know, the horses could pull, yeah, could pull through the snow. And he always remembers his dad talking about how, you know, that tractor was just nothing, nothing compared to the horses. But once again, you know, you didn't have to stop and rest it every time on the end of the field. And so I think that's what kind of, you know, got him into gear about thinking about buying a tractor. But, uh, you know, they basically um, had 14 cows, and now this would be my grandpa, so George Sr. They had 14 cows milked by hand, whatever, twice a day. And then in 1946, they actually got their first um, electricity on the farm. And my uncle was telling that he remembers because he was he's older than my dad. Um, he said uh, that the pump took as long to start as it would to milk all the cows. <laughs> and he said that pump was called a lot of different names <laughs> on a given day. And so he, he always tells that story. And he said, you know, I don't know which was worse, you know, the milking or trying to get the pump started. But um, eventually, I think they upgraded into, you know, some other pump that was much better. But sure. Um, you know, just, you know, just a couple little simple things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, it was, it was just very, very basic. I know, um, when the depression hit, it would be my grandpa. He ended up having to move back in with his parents. So, um, back in with, um, it would be Fred and Emma for Mm -hmm. a period of time. And if I'm not mistaken, they were with them for, I don't know, at least four years, five, yeah, four or five years. And, um, of course that was the last thing, you know, they wanted to do, but I mean, when hard, hard times hit that, that was basically what what you had to do, you know, how big, how big, how many acres? I I didn't ask how many acres was it initially? Has it grown Daryl? Um, yeah, so initially, I do believe it was, um, is it uh, 60, I think it was in that 60 acre range. Um, then I do believe they added another 80 onto it uh, down the road. And that would have been, <clears throat> I guess, from the 1970 mark to, in, or 1870 rather, into the uh, yeah 1920s. Um, anyway, they purchased another plot of land that was, not adjoining, but was really close. And then um, today, actually, our farm consists of about 300 acres that we own and operate. Um, we are actually a very small um, operation as of today yet, and that's why we do a bunch of different things on our farm. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I'm just trying to think here. What was it like? Just tell me a little bit. You've got the benefit of having generations around you, Daryl. What was that like when you were growing up? Um, the, the farm, so the farm that we are living on, I was born and raised in and, uh, you know, basically my dad was a dairy farmer through and through. He enjoyed his cows, um, probably as much as anything. And, uh, you know, we would, uh, do our simple, you know, schedule every day, twice a day milking, um, you know, bale. It seemed like all we did was bale hay or straw all summer. <laughs> you know, we we never uh, never ever got too far away from the baler in the summertime. And um, you know, I, I think about showing at the county fair. I've got two other siblings, and we showed at the county fair when we were in high school. And you know, that was kind of our big thing. You know, we didn't take too many trips like anybody else on the on the dairy side of agriculture. Oh, yeah. Right. You know, and. Uh, yeah, Dad. Uh, like I say, we we were able to make make it go when we sure. were small. Sure. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know. When did the cows? Much. So I I assume the cows went then. Um, so the cows stayed until 1993, mm-hmm. 
And believe it or not, that's where things kind of changed um, drastically. We actually had uh, somebody start two barn fires on our place three days apart. Ooh. And it was arson. Mm-hmm. And so after that, um, we decided, well, I didn't really want a dairy farm. I enjoyed the rest of the operation, but I didn't want a, a dairy farm. So then we went into basically raising dairy beef. Mm-hmm. And so we raised dairy beef. We had about 400 head at one time, and we rented more land. We probably had about 800 acres of land. And um, then as time went on, that really wasn't enough to sustain two families, so my parents and my wife and I. So then we started in with the agritainment, which really, you know, changed things drastically on the farm. So at that time, we in 2012, we started the corn maze and um, basically evolved from that. Um, it's actually the state's largest maze at this time until somebody wants to build a bigger one. Sure. <laughs> uh, but it, um, you know, then we added strawberries a couple years later, and now we're doing a fundraiser, a sunflower festival fundraiser for the local Rio oh, FFA. Nice. Every, yeah, every summer. And now we've branched into um, raising um, or starting to grow uh, peach trees. So about three years ago, we have been experimenting with trying to grow some varieties that actually do survive the winter, which is hard to believe. Um, but this year we are going to harvest the first crop or first small crop of peaches. So. Oh, congratulations. How's that, how's that transition been? I mean, you go from working by yourself all the time and now parking lots full of people that want to be out at the farm. How's that transition gone for you, Daryl? Um, it's been a little bit, you know, back and forth, you know, there's days where things go really well. And then the next day, um, you kind of look at it and just scratch your head. But, uh, my wife is extremely uh, talented when it comes to marketing and website. And, um, she does so many things, you know, behind the scenes to help try to make these things flow and proper help. You know, that's the other thing when you actually let the public out, how do you staff, you know, for a day that, well, today we only have a few hundred people, but then the next day we might have, you know, hundreds of people. Um, she does her part, and I always say I do my part, and, you know, we put it together and it seems to work. But, um, you know, agritainment is definitely not for every farmer. And uh, my dad being 80, he's still out there, you know, hauling people around on hay rides and stuff like that, talking to him, and he does enjoy being around people. So I guess that's that's partially where I get it from. You know, sure. we can we can be be uh be out and about amongst yep. the public and, and make it all work. So. Is, is that what you think the next generation will gravitate towards, Daryl, when you guys uh, sit down and make plans or look at, look down the road, you think that there is a future for the next generation? I think there is. Um, you know, I, I sit back every day and you know, Julie and I talk about it, you know, where what do we do in the future? Um, how do we continue to grow our small operation? And, and with small acres, I, I do believe you're going to have to diversify. You're going to have to do something, you know, with the public. And, you know, you just have to pick and choose what you feel comfortable doing. But um, I, I really believe there is a future in it if you're willing to work with um, the public. And, and the kids have grown up with it. And, and they've seen the good, bad, and the ugly of doing it, too. And I, I tell them that, you know, you got to try different things go work for somebody else before you, you know, so choose to work for yourself and uh, wait and see, you know, if it's your calling or not. Cause sure. yeah, there's not, <clears throat> there's definitely not, uh, it's never a for sure that, you know, somebody wants to continue it on until they, they right. so choose. So. Yeah. 
Well, it sounds like you've got a, a nice footprint that they can grow into if they'd like to. That's Daryl Schenenberg, along with his wife, Julie. They are owners and operators of what you can find, Creek Bed Country Pharmacy, F-A-R-M-A-C-Y.com. You can see more pictures there on the farm today, sharing their story of uh, more than 150 years of farming heritage in that Poinette area. Continuing to bring you these stories from across the state, courtesy of Compure Financial.